As an industry, we've made it our business to learn about games, how they work, about their resonance, and their successes or failures, but there's a human side to the industry as well. My name is Paul James, and welcome to Dev Diary, a series explores and celebrates the incredible feats of the people behind the games as we dive into their stories, the highs, the lows, and everywhere in between. In this episode, I'm joined by Nick Pierce, current writer, director, and producer at Modern Storyteller. So join us as we explore his journey. So today I'm joined by Nick. How are you? Yeah, pretty well, thanks. How are you? Going really, really well. I guess the both of us, uh, and, and we're recording this, uh, there's a nice short turnaround between us recording and then this episode going live. So as we speak, weirdly enough, both of us Victorians, we're one of the few states in Australia that's not in a lockdown, a hard lockdown at the moment, which is, I don't know, for, I don't know about you, but for me, that's uh, quite confusing. <laughs> I'm not, what I'm an exemplary state we live in. Magnificent. Completely faultless. We have done nothing wrong. Ever. Absolutely nothing at any point, and look at us go. We won't rub it in too much because we do have interstate listeners who are probably getting quite <laughs> upset at the both of us right now, and I'm dropping subscribers as I as somehow <laughs> I can see it happening right now. Um, so apologies to everyone interstate. I'm, I, we send you our very best, and I'm sure you'll be out of this very soon. Keeping busy, though, with all things development-related, we've obviously got a, a release that's now only, oh, as we speak, about a month away. Mm, 29 days, but who's counting <laughs> it's keeping really busy or are we kind of i guess rushing to the finish line or i'd say i'm keeping a measured pace i've been working 80 hours a week for four and a half years now so it's just uh keeping up this kind of the the regular the regular sprint it's it's a i'm i like to think of it i'm, I'm sprinting a marathon so i'm just you know keeping it steady well i mean i haven't done too many marathons i can't say oh, i have to, i must admit um the thought of doing 80 hour weeks terrifies me hmm um, and I hope that that eases up nice and soon. I guess I guess there's yeah, a hard yeah. end point at this point. So. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm looking forward to taking a bit of time off afterwards. It's going to be wonderful. And, and by the way, you know, if you're listening at home, kids, don't try this at home. Um, you know, I, I, I work pretty hard, but I'm, I'm pretty used to it. I spent 10 years as a lawyer, and it's, not, you know, it's, it's nothing new for me, but I certainly don't, um, don't allow my staff to work anything like that. Uh, but you know, sometimes when you're starting a, uh, up a company, you've just got to you know, go the extra mile to make sure things happen. Yeah, um, and we're going to dive into all of that because this is Dev Diary, a series where we talk to developers from throughout the industry. They share their stories, their experiences, and the journey that has led to this current point. So, Nick, before we dive into the Forgotten City and everything that's led to that point in terms of the development scene, I wanted to rewind to, oh, I guess, some of the earliest points, some of your first interactions with video games. Do you recall what the very first game was that you ever played? I do, actually. Yeah, I, was, uh, I remember playing... Uh... Turbo Snake, which was just one of the many variants of, of Snake, uh, and uh, I remember a sitting on my aunt's lap in, in, a, in, a, in a playing a very crusty old. Um, it was an eight hundred eighty six with four color a four color CGA monitor. So yeah, very got into it very early. I must have been oh, eight or something like that. Get, getting in a good a good time though. I mean, Snake is awesome, and I guess it creates wonderful perspective as you've seen the industry grow over the decades since. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it feels like quite a privilege to sort of have got in so early, right at the beginning of, of the development of, of video games, and just sort of see them evolve, and it certainly gives you a perspective that the younger people might not have, and but also means that you um, you, you know, if I'd been maybe ten years older, then I might have uh, missed out on the opportunity to get into games at all. I think. Oh, for sure. Generally, when I meet people who are sort of you know forty or fifty plus, um, 
you know, and, and, and they say, oh, what do you do? I say, oh, I make video games. And they say, oh, my kids play video games. Um, it, it's always, uh, it's always, you know, it's very, you know, it, it's something very abstract and remote for, for people who are, who are a bit older than us. So, yeah, I'm you know, quite, quite happy that I got into it when I did. Yeah, like it's an interesting sweet spot. Um, I mean, I I was born and bred on. I guess I came through at the very end of the NES and the beginning of the Super Nintendo era. So like, there's a there's a little gap there in, in between us. And I do kind of look kind of enviously on it um, at, at some like yourself who were able to be there at the very beginning, more or less. Obviously, we, you know, there was very little variance mm. well before, yeah, but where things really start to actually gain some sort of traction and take off and actually become a thing, I, I look on a bit enviously at that because I. I consider myself fairly well versed i certainly spent a long time in in the years uh, i wasn't too uh tone deaf to what had come before i was more than happy to go and throw my hat in the ring and try out some older games and those sort of things but to actually be there and experience it as it was developing and then get to see the entire growth that's occurred in those years since uh, there's kind of a so close but not quite and kind of for, for me mm. in terms of my age bracket and so you're you're in the perfect sweet spot as far as i'm concerned without to your point a moment ago being you know that five to ten years older where you're looking at saying oh my kids play but not really having any sort of investment yourself <laughs> mm. um it's funny as well because you back in those days when you're playing things like you know alex kid in miracle world on your Sega master system um which came you know a little while later than, than snake yeah. um it, at the time it was it was just this incredible magical experience and and i can still sort of hum the theme tune and i can you know remember the boss fights with you know jenkin and and you know it was, it was this incredible experience and i recently got the um the remastered version on steam um oh and, yeah uh, and, and it has one of those awesome features that allows you to sort of flick back to the original mode to sort of see how it looks now versus how it used to look um and i was actually kind of horrified to see how badly or how disparate my memory of how it looked and felt was to how it actually looked and felt like it was really rudimentary like the you know the graphics are you know re- like i think maybe there's like 16 colors or something and and the music's all just really sort of harsh electronic beeps but at the time it was just it was yeah it was really magical so it's sort of a it's um yeah i, I think if, if you'd gone back to play that now uh, it, it probably would be quite hard to find that magic uh, so yeah i'm grateful to have been able to experience that and and sort of see everything evolve as, as I did. Yeah, it is one of those things that um, I think we're all having at various different points, regardless of kind of our when we first entered games or what games we played. You know, I mean, you hear people saying the same thing about the Crash Bandicoot collection that came out the other year, and then they went and toggled back and look at the old ones, and they've gone, "Oh my god, this is not what I remember <laughs> at all," or Halo or any of those sort of things. And so really, yeah. kind of no matter your vintage, I think everyone's still having those same sort of moments. The degrees mm. obviously differ. Um, I think it's also a testament a to thing. our to our ability, to, to our, our mind's ability to sort of fill in the blanks. Um, Absolutely. So even, even though, you know, the graphics were quite rudimentary, that's not what you saw as a kid. You know, you saw Alex Kidd and, you know, you saw this this little boy punching bricks into smithereens with his fist or whatever. And, and yeah, it just uh, it just seemed much, much, uh, much grander than it was. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. So outside of Alex Kidd, were there any other favourite franchises or games or even genres that you kind of attached yourself to as you were growing up, as you got to experience more games, as you moved on from Snake? Look, the the thing with my computer was it um it, it fell out of date very quickly. And so, um, so there were very, very few games that I could actually play on my computer. And one of those games was The Secret of Monkey Island. Uh, which oh, good was, one. Uh, which is just yeah just an eternal classic for me and, and i you know that'll always have a special place in my heart um and guybrush three chord and and uh, yeah it was um it, it it certainly 
um, opened my eyes to the possibilities of video game storytelling as well. Because up until that point, it had just been, you know, I think the, all, all the stories in the games I'd been playing had just been hastily written by programmers. Like, oh, guys, we need a plot. What's the plot for this one? Uh, guy needs to um, save princess <laughs> and jump on blocks. Um, but yeah, Monkey Island was just a, and, and, and has held up remarkably well. Like if you go and play Monkey Island, um, even without having played it as a kid, it is still, um, it's still a wonderful story. Um, some of the puzzles are, are, are purposefully abstract, abstract unfortunately, yeah. but, um, but it's, um, it's still just, yeah, it's just a, it's a remarkable feat of, of storytelling. Um, yeah, uh, and, I and that, wholeheartedly yeah. agree. Mm. Yeah, so that so that was that was wonderful, but that was about the end of, of my video game. The, that that was the last sort of proper game that I could play on my PC. And so, um, so what happened was I was like, well, I want to play games, but I can't really put any more games on this computer. So, all right, it's time I started making my own. So I got a I got a subscription to the Double Helix Science Club magazine, uh, which is super nerdy. And uh, at the, on the I think on the back page they had like a programming section, and they they taught you how to sort of code in GW Basic or QBasic. Um, yep. And so I started making really awful, awful little games that no one could or should ever play. And uh, and, and just, yeah, had a, had a while of the time doing it and uh, even sort of, you know, published them in inverted commas by, you know, copying them onto disk and sharing them with my friends. Um, you know, hey, and, we all uh, start yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that and was... some um, of the best projects ever made had kind of started at that point as well, so... Mm. <laughs> well, these are definitely not the best projects ever made, though. Possibly the well. opposite. But but yeah, it was a, it was sort of a start... Definitely sort of started me off on a journey. So I guess uh, the, the lesson that I sort of took away from that is, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. Um, you know, if you... If you um, you know, I, I, I had no choice but to, to make my own games and uh, and and look at where it look where it's led me. I'm sort of quite yeah. happy about about how it's gone in the end. Yeah, that whole kind of modding pathway really took off for you. And again, we'll kind mm. of explore all that shortly. Was there? Would you say that there was any one game or maybe collection of games that really inspired you to actually pursue development yourself? I mean, it's it's a big decision for any for any kid to go. Oh, I'm gonna firstly, I'm gonna subscribe to this magazine because you know where am I gonna get the money from? But even mm. once I've once I've done that, like okay, I'm really going to lean into this and start creating myself as opposed to just simply consuming. Was there was there a game or anything like that that really prompted you to pursue game creation yourself? Look, I, I think I think the games that I was making at the time vaguely resembled a Sierra title called Zelliard, which no one else seems to remember about. So sometimes I wonder if I hallucinated the existence of this game. But that's all right. Um, you just if, Wikipedia it and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> It was, yeah, I'll just add the entry in if, if anyone, yeah. Um, the, yeah, it was a sort of a, it was a 2D sort of almost uh, JRPG-esque uh, platformer. And uh, yeah, the, the, the games that I was making at the time vaguely resembled that, but that was a, that was a, an, you know, a good solid um, platformer. Um, but, um, but then I, you know, I started, um, uh, I, eventually when I got a better computer and I was playing Duke Nukem and, and Doom, I got into um, to, to level modding in a big way. So I just started making a whole bunch of levels. Uh, for, for those games and sharing them with my friends and and um, convincing my friends to, to to play them on LAN days or, or you know when we were playing multiplayer with the serial cable, it's a great trick actually because um, if you make the level you know where everything is and you also know where the impossible to find secret weapons are so you know it's uh it's good fun. Giving yourself a little leg up, I I appreciate yeah. <laughs> the uh, not so subtle approach to develop. No, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um. Would you say that there was any one game at all, or maybe it was maybe it was one of the ones we've already discussed that really put you on the path to getting uh, like actually pursuing in a professional setting? Because as we as we'll soon discuss, um, you were in law uh, and mm. were for about a decade. 
um, mm. various different capacities. There's uh, we're obviously going to be we're going to be talking about Skyrim and those sorts of things shortly, and obviously that's a really important point for you. Mm. Was there uh, the had the ball gotten rolling prior to that in terms of I'm I'm going to find a way to do this or or did it really only emerge with the successes you had from modding Skyrim? Yeah, it, it really just came from that. It's uh, I'd, I'd never even dreamed of um of being a video game developer um up until the mod just took off and then suddenly. All these people were saying to me, "Why don't you be a dev?" And I, I didn't really have a very good answer for that. And uh, <laughs> so it took me about a year of sort of umming and ahhing uh, before I finally sort of summoned the courage to to sort of break the golden handcuffs and take the leap. Um, and so yeah, it was uh, it, it just kind of it, it came about as a, as a direct result of the success of the mod. Yeah, I mean, I'd imagine it's a fairly intimidating thing to kind of make that jump. Like you're in law now. Uh, we don't need to be divulging, you know, paychecks or any of those sorts of things. But mm. you know, there's, there's a. I think most people listening will probably think, okay, that's a fairly well-paid job. Especially like when we talk about you work. Yeah, you're a you're a lawyer. You worked in uh, as an ombudsman for telecommunications. You were working in uh, the MBNCO as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously it's a very high risk thing. There's a there's a lot yeah. of people that go into making games and unfortunately for one reason or another it's not sustainable for them whether the mm. the project doesn't work out or maybe it, it you know releases but it doesn't get the sales it needs and so they they retreat back to whatever the whatever they had beforehand or maybe pursue, pursue something else or whatever yeah and that wasn't was that, an was that a really intimidating case, thing yeah. for you so yeah it was for a couple of reasons so uh, first of all uh, there's a thing called opportunity cost right so if you're earning i don't know one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year let's say and you go, you give that up, and you go and make a a game. Then, for, for say, I don't know, four years, then your opportunity cost is six hundred thousand dollars because you've foregone six hundred thousand dollars worth of yep. worth of wages in order to make the game. Um, and that is, you know, that's a house. That, <laughs> that's an yeah, extremely daunting prospect. And 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 that's why you know we, we talk about golden shackles. It's, it's the very definition of a first world problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. And that is, if you are in a a, a sort of a a, a, well, a, a professional career and you're earning good money, um, you, you've got the golden shackles and, and that means, you know, it, there's a very, very strong disincentive um, to, um, or rather, there's a very strong incentive to stay exactly where you are and, and not leave. And it takes uh, something extraordinary to, um, to to break those and, and for you to sort of, you know, go, go and take a leap. So, look, I um, it, that's why I say it took me a year of umming and ahhing because, uh, you know, you the problem with the legal profession is once you're out, you're out, you're not getting back in. And, and yeah, what okay. I mean is, so, so if you haven't practiced in, in two or maybe three years, um, no one's going to employ you because you, you know, your skills and knowledge are rusty. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was essentially, I had to make a decision between, uh, you know, making video games, which I, you know, deeply loved, uh, and, and it turned out was pretty good at, um, or, or just continuing along in a career path, which I was very good at, but but just wasn't really inspired by. Um, it's a really really difficult decision, and I uh, you know I, I hope uh, I hope you know not many other people have to go through it. But um, but I think also that's that's one of the reasons why you don't see lawyers or stockbrokers or surgeons or whatever going into game development um, because you know it's it's just irrational. And I think that's a, that's a shame in a sense because you also miss out on the stories that those people can tell because you know people people in I mean in an ideal world I would love to see video games being made by people from all walks of life and all experiences and all, all demographics. 
time. Oh, for sure. It just, it just doesn't happen. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's a shame. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to be the, the weirdo lawyer who, uh, who decided to, to make the leap and was able to sort of share some of the stories and experiences that I've learned throughout my you know, uh, adventure in applied ethics. Hey, I mean, we, I mean, we're going to be discussing some of the storytelling focuses for you in in the Forgotten City shortly, but hmm. um, it is bringing a totally different perspective in that sense to what anyone else has. I mean, there's there's kind of a cone of perspectives that we tend to see hmm. within games, and I, I mean that for for a long time that was also a very whitewashed cone. Now, thankfully, that's starting to be broken down in terms yeah, of absolutely. some cultural things, in terms of sexuality, and all those sorts of things as well. But but even on that kind of that professional lens and kind of lifestyle lens, like that's something that probably still hasn't really been explored as much as it could or should be. So it'd be mm. really quite fascinating to see what you and the team are able to bring forth with Forgotten City and see how some of those experiences that you've gone through over the journey will ultimately inform the final product. Mm. Yeah. You made that's obviously me putting a consumer hat on there, but it'd be really fascinating. Mm. So, we have, yeah we have, we spoke about how you did you did ten years uh, of uh, re, re, sorry um, ten years of different legal assorted bits and pieces there mm-hmm. um, a fairly big game in your life released in two thousand eleven it's called the Old Scrolls Five Skyrim and you got to work on that game um, had you been doing before before we really focus on that one and and the Forgotten City that spawned from that had you been doing a lot of modding work still at that particular point or is that something that had kind of fallen off the radar you obviously spoke about duke nukem and all those things but there's a yeah, yeah. there's a large expanse of time between duke nukem and then skyrim for example had you been still dabbling in that space a little bit in not, the meantime not or you gone yeah, cold so i basically so when i was 17 and trying to decide what i wanted to do with my life uh i was i was sort of looking at my uh, you know having to fill in my application for university and one of the things that was on my list right at the top was creative writing and uh my my father and a, and a sort of a stern friend of his said, who's going to pay you for, for those skills? Um, and and they're absolutely right at the time. There really just weren't employment opportunities. So I went off to become a lawyer um, and, uh, and uh, you know, it was a good good career. Um, but ultimately, it was pretty dry and I had all this unused creative energy. So in around 2011, um, I'd... Um, I'd, I'd already resolved by that point actually that I was going to make a mod as soon as as soon as the the relevant toolkits came out. Um, yeah, and the right game and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it happened a little bit earlier than that, about a year earlier when Fallout New Vegas came out. Okay. So, so I um so I'd, I played a mod called uh, for uh, New New Vegas Bounties by a guy called uh, Some Guy Two Thousand, yeah. um, which was just exceptional. It was it was it was essentially a um it was a it was a fan-made DLC that was on par with the game itself, and and yeah, which is the writing was really crisp and the the voice acting performances were, were great and the, the gameplay mechanics were, were just you know wonderful and satisfying, and so I just thought I I'm gonna have a go at this. Um, so um so yeah, the, the next game that came along uh, that that allowed uh, modding and had a good modding community uh, was the one you mentioned, and um so yeah, I, I just uh, got got stuck into modding it as, as soon as I as soon as I possibly could uh, did you from moment one have the idea of the forgotten city in mind or was this something that really like a lot of evolution a lot of growth yeah. uh, a lot of trial and error those sort of things or was this yeah. an idea that kind of kicked off right away and just seemed to work yeah we call it iteration so I um I just I just started off by making this big underground city in a state of ruin 
uh, and uh, that was just teaching myself the, the, the basics of, of level level design in this particular suite. And um, and look, it was great. It was great fun, and um, it was really sort of engaging and, and exciting to, to make it. But at the end of the day, it was just a big empty level with with nothing in it, um, and so it was quite dull. Um, and I remember at some point I thought to myself, what 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 would it be like if you could travel back in time in this big ruined city and kind of meet the civilization that used to live here what would that be like and i thought oh that's, that's a pretty cool idea so and the rest just kind of evolved from that so you know as as it turns out in the end the, the forgotten city is basically about you discovering an ancient underground city in a state of ruin traveling back in time x years uh, meeting the civilization that used to live there, knowing that the city is about to be destroyed and being entrusted with the task of figuring out who or what is about to destroy the city and stopping it before it happens. Um, and so the, as you know, with the mod as in the game, you know, there are multiple endings and so you, you, it's possible to fail and, and to, you know, for the city to be destroyed um, or, or, or it's possible for, for everybody to be saved um, and, and a whole bunch of points along the spectrum as well. So that's sort of a, that's how, how it ended up. I mean, I must say, like, I, and even to this day, I've still never been a massive PC guy for the most part, but I was playing Skyrim um, on the console, mm -hmm. PlayStation, and turned out uh, that was the roughest version of the game, but we'll move on from that. Um, <laughs> I was hearing so much about the modding scene, and, and um, it turned out your work was one of those, one of those uh, kind of mods that kind of rose to the surface there. I was, I was hearing a mm. lot about the Forgotten City as well as a, a variety of other mods and some fantastic things going on there. And while I didn't really have the the, the rig here to be able to, I, I, at the time, yeah, mm. definitely no PC experience whatsoever. So I didn't have anything that would allow me to even play Skyrim on that. And I was pretty happy with my consoles and I was a little bit fanboyish still in some senses. <laughs> um, at the time, I, I won't shy from that behavior at the time. Uh, it was only 10 years ago and I've grown up since. Um, <laughs> but like I was hearing amazing things about that. And, I, and so I'd, I'd do my research on YouTube and I was, I was blown away by the work that you and others were creating. What was that community side of things like? I assume you and other people who in that modding scene are, are bouncing off each other fairly regularly. Maybe uh, I don't know if the facilities were like you know trialing other people's work and and being able to provide feedback and you'd go back in and update and all those sort of things. What what was that Look, sort of? That sounds like? that that's a perfectly reasonable assumption. And for some people, it may have been like that. But for me, it was it, it couldn't have been more different. So I didn't know anyone in the modding community, and I didn't uh, I I really didn't have. It, it was, for the entire three years that I was making The Forgotten City, I was just making it on my own up until the point when it was finished and then went, all right, that'll do. And then I got a, a, an orchestral composer and 19 voice actors to come and do their bit and that was it. So I um, I, I, <laughs> I probably should have, uh, but I guess I just didn't really feel compelled to and I, I think there was... Hey, it worked out well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it did work out well. And I, I guess um, I guess one of, the, one of the benefits of trying to do everything yourself is that you... Um, you, you learn an incredible amount of stuff. So I just, I had a lot of, like I spent probably half, the mod took me 1700 hours and I'd, I'd say I spent about half that time just banging my head against the wall trying to figure out how to fix certain bugs and get my head around you know, certain bits of scripting and, and how the engine worked. Um, but in the end, I, I came away with a, you know, a pretty solid understanding of how it all fit together. Um, and I also think like it's, it's an advantage to be able to say, look, this is all my own work. Uh, I did yep. this on my own and... Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just one way of doing things. I think um, I think probably it just came down to like not not really needing anyone and and um, and not knowing anyone in the modern community and and the people in my life at the time 
you know, to, to the extent that I, you know, would occasionally sort of mention what I was working on in my spare time. No one really cared, <laughs> which is fine. I don't, I don't uh, begrudge them for that. But, you know, if, if people don't care, it's hard to get them excited. Uh, well, I mean, I was... we, we spoke before about, you know, people in that older demographic that weren't necessarily mm. across games in the first place. And then for you yeah. to say, oh, I'm working with a game and creating stuff in the game, like that, like this mm. meta to that that just makes it even more obscure and yeah. seemingly, seemingly ridiculous to those people. So yeah, I yeah. guess I can understand the initial response, but uh, look at how things, look at what came of it. So, yeah. um, I mean, there were awards plenty for the game, millions of downloads. It was very, very, very big. What, what, yeah, yeah, how it was did that sit with you when it happened? Yeah, <laughs> it was a bit of a shock because I um, so I'd I'd never really expected anyone to to be that interested. I thought maybe to get a few thousand downloads and then and then that'll be it. But you know that that was that was fine. I just wanted to. It, it was the it was the experience of creating something that that was meaningful to me. Um, so it, the the, re- the reaction wasn't all that important. Um, so yeah, when it when it started getting press in Kotaku and PC Game, like PC Game. Were, watched the trailer and went, oh, the, the deputy editor wrote that it was uh, undeniably impressive. And, and then people started, you know, the mainstream media started picking up on it and writing very flattering articles about it. I think IGN called it Simply Amazing. And it, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a shock. And I remember, yeah, my, my heart would just race and flutter every time something like that happened. And, you know, as I was trying to understand what, what it meant. And it, I really didn't understand what, what was happening or what, you know, or the opportunity that was being created for me for, for a long time later. Someone at the time said, this is how careers get started. And I was like, oh, no, you're just being nice. And, uh, and yeah, they're absolutely right. It, it is how careers get started. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've had a number of guests on the show in the past that are similar sorts of stories, not games necessarily as recent as Skyrim, but similar sorts of stories where it was their work in the modding scene that then had them get noticed in that particular case. And mm. maybe they, they partnered up with the team itself or they went off and forged their own path like you have. Like There's quite a lot of those stories out there and I'm sure they'll mm. continue to be the case. I know um, the modding scene is still still very active all the time when, whenever you know developers and publishers support it and in some cases even when they don't support it mm. um and i'm sure we're going to continue to get more and more of these stories over the journey and yours just another really great success from from that whole scene yeah i hope so i mean i think it's um it is you know modding communities um and, and toolkits are wonderful things for people who like figuring out things themselves um you know there's there's an alternative career path where you can go and, and pay someone to teach you. Um, yeah. But I think um, for me, um, you know, I just uh, I just wanted to figure it out on my own and and uh, learn at my own pace and and um, and do it while I was uh, you know working my my sort of established career and um and that worked pretty well for me. But yeah, I um, I, I hope people do, um, uh, you know, continue to. To, to make lots of mods and and um, actually I would like to see the the expansion and development of a, of a paid mods space because I think there could be a um, I mean there already is for some games but but not yep. all of them certainly for, for you know Team Fortress two mods and that sort of thing there's a potentially lucrative market for mods um, I think there's um, there's definitely a, a place for that and, yeah, and it helps that, that the the best creators the most enthusiastic creators start to rise to the top and some of the best projects mm. start to rise to the top I feel like I feel like you're right. I mean, again, I'm not I'm not a big PC guy, so the modding scene's a little bit obscure to me in some in some respects. But mm. I feel like a model like that only promotes the best products. 
at the end of the day because if, you, if you're just going to create rubbish well it's going to go unnoticed or yeah, undownloaded yeah. or unplayed or whatever and you're not going to yeah. make a cent from it but if you and obviously there's people with different motivations of course but you know for anyone who's maybe looking to make a little bit of money out of this thing well there's an opportunity there so mm. I think you're right there's, there are more opportunities and hopefully more developers and publishers go and support it going forward but the mod came out in 2015 mm-hmm. so I mean it was about four years after the, the launch of the game in the first place um and then it was only a year later that you moved into the, that space professionally yourself. You you stepped away from the from the legal career, and obviously we've kind of touched on that a little bit. And in terms of some of the various factors you had to consider, how long did it actually take before you realize uh, before you realized slash made the decision? Okay, I'm I'm ready to make this jump. Yeah, I think it was about a year. So I'd um so soon after the mod had sort of taken off, um I had a um. I had a friend who introduced me to the guys at League of Geeks, so Trent Custers and uh, oh, yeah. Blake Mitzi, uh, both top blokes. And so I got the chance to um, go and have a beer with them. And um, and they they sort of, uh, you know, they, they were some of the first people to say, hey, have you considered making this into a standalone game? And I, I, I hadn't. Um, and, uh, and then they told me about the, the grants that you could get from Film Victoria, which was totally news to me. Um, I guess it's possibly a well-kept secret because, uh, uh, you know, this competition is pretty stiff, um, but yeah, so that that sort of got me thinking, and then, um, but but I was sort of I was still pretty hesitant because that I had sort of three problems. Um, the first one was I didn't have any time because uh, I was working full time. Yeah. The second problem was I didn't have any money that I was well I didn't have a I didn't have a budget that I could spend on developing. Yeah, enough overhead to actually do it. Extremely yeah. expensive, and you know I wanted to I wanted to have a house to live in. Um, and three, I didn't know how to make games uh, from scratch. So three absolutely massive blockers um, that I that I had to contend with. And so for the next sort of twelve months, I sort of ummed and art about it and just sort of tried to think about it from every angle. And um, eventually, I, I sort of uh, I came up with a plan. And um, and yeah, I, I resigned uh, from my job and started a um, started a company and and uh, hired an ace. Uh, one-man army programmer Alex Goss, who's been with me since the beginning. We um we just happened to meet at a party, um, and uh, always always a good circumstance. Yeah, it's good yeah, when these things and, happen. Uh, yeah. So he um he's been he's been fantastic, um, and so yeah we um we managed to sort of solve each of those problems. So you know I I solved the problem of having no time by quitting my job, and the problem of having no budget by uh, getting our first grant from Film Victoria. Um, in addition to some seed money that I, you know, that I contributed personally, yeah, um, and uh, yeah, and then obviously solved the problem of having no technical experience by hiring a guy who just finished making a, a VR spacewalk simulation in consultation with NASA. Um, yeah, so, yeah, kind of handy uh, skill set. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was yeah. there still a little bit of upskilling you needed to do though in that time? Like, was there still some stuff that you were poking around and oh, trying try to teach there's... yourself in that year? Mate, there's still upskilling I need to do, but I think that's always the case with developers at every stage of their career. There's just a, it's just a, a never-ending um, process. But um, were there some things that, like, you know, you go, okay, I can get a program, I can get this, the, the, I can get these people to kind of fill these certain roles, but there is certain, I don't know, non-negotiables that I'm going to have to get my head around here. Did you kind of identify any of those, and were there some of those things that you were able to clean up in the meantime? Um, look, I knew that I was going to have to do a lot myself. And what I'd learned from modding is that with a lot of these things, you can just figure it out if you need to. Um, yep. So yeah, I've, I've had to learn, you know, video game PR and um, 
you know, video game intellectual property and um, how to design games and um, what, well, you know, I'd, I'd already, I already had this sort of the story and design, but how to actually implement it in a new engine, how to, you know, how, how to use Unreal and how to design levels in Unreal and how blueprints work and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there's a huge, absolutely massive amount of stuff I needed to learn, but, um, but yeah, the, the experience of the mod had taught me that, you know, just, uh, uh, courage is about 50% of it. So you just take a leap and hope that you can, you know, it's a bit Land like, um, yeah, exactly. It's a bit like jumping out of a plane and hoping that you can figure out how the parachute works by the time you hit <laughs> without having been prepped on it first. Mm. Well, it seems like you've stuck the landing fairly well. Obviously, we'll know in, in about a month from now, but everything I've seen, everything I've heard, things look like they're shaping up really, really well. Hmm. One thing I really want to pick your brain about is kind of the storytelling side of things. And if I, if I focus on the, as I was kind of doing my research and trawling around to get some bits and pieces for this show, I was, I was on the, the Modern Storyteller website and one little quote struck me. It said, fulfill the potential of video games to be the ultimate storytelling medium. Now what I guess I wanted to ask about that is what does that mean for the Forgotten City? Um, We've obviously seen there's lots of people that are looking to take big steps in various different aspects of the industry, not just the storytelling sphere, but what what, what are you hoping to achieve in that space when it comes to the Forgotten City? That's a good question. So um, I think video games can do basically everything that film... Um, and, uh, For sure. and and TV can do, um, except that they can do additional things because they have the added element of interactivity. So, so you know, you can tell a, a sort of a sweeping cinematic story, you know, an, an epic story that takes you 2,000 years in the past or whatever. Um, you could do that in film if you wanted to, if you had a, the CGI budget. Um, yeah. But one of the things that, that's interesting about games is... Um, is interactivity and 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 what that means for the player is that video games can evoke through the choices that you've made and the outcome that the game delivers as a result of those choices a sense of pride you can't get pride from a tv show or or a movie because you didn't do anything you didn't make any yeah, it's a passive experience you, you had no yeah exactly you had no agency you you, you you know you're not responsible for the outcome um you're you're a, you're a passive observer um but with, with the Forgotten City and, and I guess games like it, um, you know, by, by giving the player a whole bunch of choices which challenge their intelligence and, and allow them to make mistakes and, and genuinely allow them to make the mistakes in the sense that you know, some of the endings that you can get in this game are catastrophic and, and quite tragic, um, it, it raises the stakes. And so if you can avoid those horrific endings and get the best ending, um, it, it's an incredibly emotive experience for people. Like I, I've, I've watched grown men cry at the best ending of The Forgotten City because oh, they're fantastic. just swelling with pride at um, you know at what they've done and how the characters are reacting to them as a result of the the, the, the clever decisions that they made. Um, and I think that's something that yeah you, you just and, and that's what I mean by you know uh, proving that games can be the ultimate storytelling medium. Um, so you know it's it's yeah I, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I, I follow what you mean. Like, it's—I mean, mm. I guess when I first read it, I was thinking purely the, the storytelling lens, but it's not necessarily just that. It is, as you've discussed, it's the agency, it's the uh, the interactivity from the player and what they can bring to the experience, mm. but also what they take away from it. It's the combination of both, which yeah. I guess I really only focused on one side of that. So, it's, yeah, but it's uh, a that, joint, thanks for kind of sharing that. It's a joint effort between developer and player. Like, we're we're both 
contributing something. I'm, I'm sort of contributing the framework and, and you're contributing the decisions that, that sort of go into the framework and, and, and lead to, to whichever ending you're going to get. So yeah, it's, um, I mean, uh, in, in a sense, you know, there are two storytellers. One is the developer and, and the other is the player. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's what I mean by the ultimate storytelling medium. I think it's, um, you know, I think you can you can you can deliver some really incredibly powerful highs. Um, Absolutely. Uh, with the medium. That's it's really fascinating. I'm I'm definitely keen, and I'm I'm glad that we're having this chat, and it's only a month away because the 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 promise around this thing has me really really excited. So hmm. uh, keen to try it out as soon as that becomes an option for me. But um. I guess another thing I wanted to ask, and kind of rewinding again back to the the mod and Skyrim, the DNA between the two. Now, obviously, it's been well, the the mod came out in twenty fifteen. Here we are in twenty twenty one. It's been six years, um, and a lot of growth in terms of your skill set and your experiences, mm. and you've been exposed to far more people in the industry and all those sorts of things. Lots of perspectives, and just you know, natural growth that occurs over the course of six years. What sort of DNA would you still say is kind of shared between that initial mod and what we're now uh, seeing in this fi- in this final kind of full product, because obviously the setting is not the same for fairly yeah, obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and that's and that's apparent at the moment. Anyone watches a tr- watches a trailer or sees gameplay from the game. Mm. But beyond that, because that's obviously still just superficial in a lot of ways. Yeah. What sort of DNA would you say is still kind of shared between those? Two? I mean, obviously you spoke about kind of the, the variances in the, the the ending, for example. Mm. But. Uh, What's kind of remained the same, I guess, in some in some ways. So, very good question. So, a few things. One, the name. Uh, two, yeah, of course, uh, the, the premise. So, in in both, you know, you you discover the ruins of an ancient underground city, travel back in time, investigate what, who, or what caused the destruction of the city, and try to stop it from happening using it, you know, a, a a sort of a Groundhog Day style time loop, which you've got to cleverly exploit to solve puzzles and problems. Um, so that's the premise. Um, we've also uh, kept some um, some characters, but only in a loose sense. They've, they've all been reimagined as ancient Romans, so their names have been Romanized, um, yep. and and the, the characters have all been sort of reimagined as if they were, you know, citizens of ancient Rome in 65 AD under Emperor Nero. Yeah, of course. Um, so they've all got appropriate, sort of period-appropriate um, costumes and customs and backstories and that sort of thing. Um, uh, kept the time loop mechanic, obviously, um, but that's about it. So, so I also so to 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 outline what's I can answer the question differently by saying what's what's new and what's changed. So I've completely rewritten the script. So I think the original script was something like thirty five thousand words. It's now eighty thousand words. Okay. Um, so the so everything that the characters are much deeper. There's a lot more interactivity there. Um, yep. You know, you can have really long philosophical conversations with these ancient Romans to sort of you know explore the, some of the differences between morality in, in ancient Rome versus the present day. Um, and um, and you uh, yeah and we've also added um, you know obviously the, the the city is is completely new it's been completely redesigned because it's now an ancient Roman city um, we've added a new gameplay mechanic which is um, you've got a you've got a really cool or you can get a really cool uh, bow a, a mythical bow which uh, a golden bow which turns uh, any organic matter into solid gold which also then opens up all these sort of puzzle platform. Uh, uh, opportunities so for example you can um you know shoot people with a golden bow uh, turn them into a solid gold statue and then boot that statue into oncoming enemies and topple them over like skittles um nice. or you, you can um you know if you come to a, a a lake that you can't cross if there's a layer of algae on top of the lake you could shoot that layer of algae and turn it into solid gold and they just walk across it 
um, or if you see, you know, hanging hanging ivy, um, you know, over the over the the, the roof of a, a villa, you can shoot the ivy and turn it into gold and, you know, climb up it to get into the villa. So there's also I know this of, um, I know this is an audio only show, but that algae one, like my jaw dropped when you mentioned that. So that that's not something I'd seen before in some of the various pieces of footage you put out, and maybe I just missed it. Maybe it was right there and I'd missed it, but um, hmm. that's. No, that's a yeah. level of detail that I was not expecting and I think is really, really cool. Yeah, well, we tried to... We, we knew that we couldn't... You know, we're a tiny indie team. We've got a core team of three people, um, three devs. And so I knew from the outset that we weren't going to be able to compete with big RPGs that offer, you know, a whole bunch of different types of combat. So we just, you know, to the extent that we were going to have any kind of combat at all, it just had to be unique. Um, and so, yeah, so I landed on the idea of the, the golden bow and, and all its uh, many uses. Um, and that's, I've, I've just touched on some of them. There, there are others as well, but um, or, you know, there's, there's a lot more to the golden bow than what I've outlined. But, um, but yeah, of course. That's, a, that's a gist of it. So, yeah, so in, to, to recap, um, rewritten story, um, redesigned world, reimagined characters, um, new gameplay mechanics, uh, or completely new orchestral score from an amazing composer called Michael Allen, who um, is, he lives in Melbourne. and who did the um, the soundtrack for uh, Mellow uh, by League of Geeks and yep. other things? Um, he's uh, he's really outdone himself. Um, I'm su- super proud of the of, of the music he's made, and of course, um, yeah, all the all the voice acting is new. So I, I cast uh, I think 28 new voice actors uh, from around the world to um, uh, to you know to voice all of the characters. Um, so yeah, it's it's you know I, I guess the way I think about it is that it's um. You know, I just tried to level up everything that could possibly be leveled up. And it's a bit like a, way, way back earlier in this conversation, we were talking about, you know, Alex Kidd, uh, you know, ha- how it was then versus how it is versus now. Versus now, yeah. It's, it's, it's a multi-generational leap, I'd say, between the mod and the, um, and the game. It's just, it's, you know, it's just better in, in every way that, that it could have been made better. Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to kind of do a side-by-side afterwards and see the growth and the change and those sort of things. It was um, in regards to some of that, and again, going back to the algae thing, he's really kind of put the seed in my head here. Um, was a game like, say, Breath of the Wild, for example, kind of a bit of an inspiration there in terms of what can we do like within with our skill set, with our tools that we've got available to us here and the golden bow and anything else that might be present as well? How can we like get as creative as possible to use these in really, really clever ways? Was, was that a game that served as any form of inspiration there? Because when you started honest, describing I've those never... things, I thought of Breath of the Wild. I've never played Breath of the Wild. Um, I oh, okay. I, so, <laughs> so, yeah, so no. Well, then the answer is no. That's a but very clear, decisive cool. no. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was kind of one of the big... Uh, look, I, I have to admit, I, I mean, I'm a Zelda fan from way back. Breath of the Wild's not necessarily a game I love for some of the ways it deviated but uh, from from the core of the franchise. But that, that idea that they brought to it is very similar to what you've discussed in terms of here's our, here's our toolkit. Mm. And we're going to utilize those tools in every which possible way. And so mm. players were finding all sorts of ways to to kind of manipulate the environment in ways that I, I'd imagine most of the staff at Nintendo didn't think was possible. And I'm, I'm really mm. kind of curious now, like given, given what we've just discussed, I'm curious. I'd, I'd love to see some of your reactions uh, when when the game gets out there and I'm sure people will be finding ways to to use that golden bow in ways that you probably hadn't considered um, it'll be really, really interesting to see what's possible. Yeah, it will be. I mean, we've watched a lot of testers play the game, and it's always fascinating to see the, the different experiences they have. And that's one of the one of the, the sort of the the things that we tried to build into the DNA of the game that we just wanted everyone to have a different experience um, because you know replayability and 
um, and just having that unique experience uh, allows for for great sort of streamability as well. So you know, it's not just going to be a sort of a, a linear game that um, that you know people play. And oh well, I've seen that now. And I know how that goes. You know, yeah, see, I'm done. Multiple endings and multiple solutions to problems, and um, you know, role playing aspects, which um, which get, you know allow you to have a, a slightly different character to what another player might be playing with. So, yeah, hopefully people have their own unique and fun experience. Have you, from some of that playtesting you described there, have you seen anyone um, apply those tools in certain ways that you just didn't think was possible? Are there any that you're willing to share with listeners today in terms of ways that people got through a certain Look, predicament nothing, utilizing nothing the skills my, in weird it, ways? Nothing really comes to mind, but it's mainly, you know, people, people would just um, make curious decisions that we hadn't anticipated or um you know uh maybe just yeah it's it, it's sort of uh, yeah nothing nothing especially um enlightening comes to mind it's just uh it's just you know, people play it their own way and and that's cool no that's cool and i'm sure once the public gets their hands on it you'll start to see more of that then mm. yeah definitely so what what did that support mean? Obviously, in terms of a financial sense, it got you going, but some of that support from Film Vic, which obviously you, you said yourself, you didn't know much about them at the beginning there, didn't really know mm. that was an option to you, but the support from Film Victoria and the and the local scene around you, obviously, and I've spoken about it so many times in past episodes with, with other developers from Melbourne as well, like the, the local development scene here is incredible. There's so much support. There's so many really talented people. It's mm. arguably the, the hotspot in Australia when it comes to... Uh, game development. Um, what has that been? How, how's that been for you being immersed in that space now and working presumably with lots of others? Obviously, you've mentioned League of Geeks, and I'm sure there's plenty of other people that you've worked mm. with over the journey. What's that been like? Um, what's it been like for you personally? Look, I'll, I'll start by saying that the the Victoria. There are certainly lots of really helpful people in Victoria, but but the people who've really helped me have been from all over the country. Lots of guys in um in Brisbane, for example. So uh, John Eyre, our artist, uh, who's an extraordinary three D artist working on his own game, uh, Bears yep. in Space. Um, he um he uh, he's been working remotely and he's been amazing. Uh, Morgan Jaffet um from from Brisbane as well. Um, he's been. Uh, quite helpful with giving advice and um, uh, John Cartwright, who I think you've um, you've interviewed. Yeah, in fairly recently. Um, yeah, here's another uh, a bridgey guy who's been just extremely helpful and, and just is incredibly knowledgeable uh, in relation to all sorts of things. Um, you know, you know in, in relation to commercial and industry matters. So yeah, I mean, it, it, and then certainly locally, you know, um, the, the League of these guys were were really sort of crucial in, in sort of guiding the way while I was getting started and, and intermittently over the last few years. Um, Michael Allen, um, the composer, has been um, amazing. Um, uh, aside from that, um, yeah, we've sort of, we've, I guess we've, we've been able to uh, work with people from a whole bunch of different places, um, uh, and and that's been cool. But I don't, I sort of, in some sense, I still think of myself as a bit of an outsider, like I was when I was modding. I just don't, um, I just don't really feel a particular need to belong to any kind of scenes or clicks or anything i just just want to make cool games um and so and hopefully um, people yeah, like them yeah yeah exactly yeah but i don't um i don't really consider myself deeply embedded in in, in that world um no, no, that like makes nice sense people, but it's just you know got got a lot a lot of stuff going on outside of game dev as well so hmm. yeah spinning a lot of plates and you do what you can do hmm. so what have been some of those challenges that you've faced in terms of, like, I think it's fairly fairly obvious for anyone who's kind of listening, um, the development of a mod in terms of scope, scale, 
pressures, all those sort of things. It's very, very different to to mm. working on a full project. I guess what what have you learned the most about development as a result of going from that modding scene to now full on game development? Yeah, um, from Square look, One. I think I think the I think the one of the biggest um, lessons that I've learned, and and I don't want to discourage any other people from from going down the path that I've, I've gone down, is that if you take a, a hobby and you make it your career, you lose a hobby. Um, so, you know, I've been working incredibly long hours on this project for the last four and a half years and I'm, you know, really proud of the yep. work that I've done. But at the same time, I find it really hard to enjoy video games now. Um, and I, I think that's, that's probably a just a temporary state of affairs as a result of, you know, burnout. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that that kind of, um, that'll resolve itself, uh, after I have a, you know, a holiday for a while after, after launch. Um, so yeah, I think it's um it's definitely worth thinking about. I mean, if you um if you want to make video games your life, that's fine. But yeah, there's only there's only only so many hours a day that you can devote to it, and um and then after that, you really need to um find, find something what, else. Come up, find for something you. else. Yeah, and that's and that's why what I mean when I say about you know like I've, I've never really I, I don't really consider myself deeply embedded in in the you know the indie development scene. I just um you know it's just so important to have. Uh, like a, a life balance and to have things going on outside um, outside development and to have those sort of social contacts that have absolutely nothing to do with video game development um, so yeah, that's, no, that's fair, fair enough yeah and, and I mean who knows I think you know with with a full project under your belt very soon like that might start to change a little bit it'll be it, you, you might thoroughly enjoy uh, getting to play some of these games you might have missed maybe Breath of the Wild becomes part of yeah the, part of the <laughs> yeah I've got, a, I've got a list I, yeah there's a whole bunch of games I really want to play I've got a, a friend who's uh, who, who wants me to play uh, at least one of the Final Fantasy games um, Breath of the Wild's been on my list for a while um, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 um, things like that. There's some great titles in there. As yeah, a really, yeah. hardened fan of all three of those franchises, you, you're not going to go wrong there. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we start to wind things down a little bit and just co- kind of cycle back to you as opposed to the team and the project, is there anyone out there that really inspires you and the way you go about your work? Whether whether that's someone within the within the industry, maybe someone who's been creating games for a far longer time, mm-hmm. or maybe someone within your own team, maybe it's someone external to games development. Full stop. Is there anyone that really inspires you in the way you yeah, go about your work? Yeah, I think actually Blake Mitzi from League of Geeks is probably the, the the dude I find most inspiring. I think you know he's just um he's just I don't know, for anyone who doesn't know who he is, he's um he's one of the founders of, of League of Geeks in Melbourne, and they made a game called Armello a few years ago, which was wildly successful. Um, but he's just, um, he's just a, such an incredibly positive guy and just, you know, bright and enlightened and, um, and just really passionate about helping build up the industry. Like, you know, he could have just taken what, what he learned and gained from, from his success and just become very insular and, um, and, and sort of, you know, and just focus on his, his own stuff. But, you know, I think he's, last I heard he was on the board of Phil Victoria and, um, and just, uh, just passionately helping people, including me, um, uh, even though there's really not much in it for him, he's just uh, he's just an awesome dude. So, yeah, I think um, I think uh, we could do with a few more Blake Mitzies in the world. Yeah, I mean those sort of people that rise to the top within their relevant industry, who then also find a way to give back. They're, mm. they're the best sort, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean we were discussing beforehand the the fact that like I'm a teacher, and I suppose at this point I've been in the in the business for for ten. 11 years or so by now and some of like some of the people I've, i respect the most are those who just from the moment i step foot in, into the in the door in my first 
year of teaching they were the ones that just gave and gave and gave in terms of not just you know obvious things like his resources but it's they mm. gave their time they gave their support they were happy to just sit yeah. there and listen and as you kind of wheeled <laughs> just rolled all these um issues and problems and concerns you were having down at their feet and they'd just be there they'd listen they'd offer their support whatever the case happened to be like those sort of people are invaluable and, mm. and also you know point you in the right direction as well they don't just enable whinging but they actually mm. allow you to pick yourself back up and move on like those sort of people yeah. are amazing so it's i'm thrilled that you found people like that within this scene as well hmm. yeah look i think um and, and it really does it sort of inspires you to want to um pay it forward uh, when you have the opportunity and you know um, look forward to hopefully having that opportunity absolutely some curly ones as we as we wrap things up if you could be credited for any one game that's ever existed now i know obviously there's a there's a, some blind spots <laughs> in more recent years um is there any game that's ever existed and it doesn't it doesn't matter what capacity it could be special thanks for all i care mm. um that you would have loved to have just somehow been associated with look i'd say probably monkey island to be honest that's still like i said it still has a um you know the secret of monkey island and, and maybe the sequel uh I, I would have loved to to have worked with those guys and to to sort of get to see their creative process and apparently um i i, I think i remember hearing in a documentary about it that um those guys actually made the game from Skywalker Ranch. So, um, yes. because they were working for Lucasfilm at the time. So they, they went out to this, like, you know, this billionaire's mansion in, um, in California. And made where, Monkey Island. It was, and <laughs> made this sweet video game. And they had catered lunches in this mansion making these sweet games. I think that would have been, that sounds like it would have been a, a period in game development history that's never to be repeated, but it would have been um, uh, pretty special, I reckon to reap the benefits of that throwaway money that yeah, respawned yeah, yeah. faster than you could spend it. That'd be, yeah. <laughs> that'd, that'd be something else. Mm. De- definitely not a world we exist in these days. That's for sure. No. On the, on the flip side, is there any game that you'd love to be able to just go back and replay, just strike it from your memory and get to experience it from scratch? Yeah, I'd say probably. Whether that's, whether that's a game with a, you know, obviously really powerful narrative or something like that that maybe really resonated with you or, Maybe yeah. for some other reason. Is there is there a game that fits that bill? Yeah, easy. That's an easy one. I'd say New Vegas. Um, for oh, me, yeah. that, that was just, uh, you know, the Obsidian's work on that one was just extraordinary. And, uh, yeah, just all of the different, you know, wonder, like, the, you know, it, right from the very beginning, it hooked you with a, just a really simple, powerful narrative. Some guy tried to shoot you in the head and leave you for dead, and now you're going to go and, you know, tr- try to hunt him down. That's a great start to a story. Um, and then, you know, all of the different competing factions that you meet along the way, they're all interesting in their own right. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a wonderful, a wonderful game. And I'd love to be able to play it again without, you know, maybe I can find a hypnotist who can uh, <clears throat> make me forget all of that stuff. So I can just play it again the first time. Maybe it's possible. I don't think anyone's ever got, when I've asked <laughs> that question, I don't think anyone's ever gone as far as, okay, let's find a way to make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> Strike a, it from my memory. I'm a solutions guy, Paul. Yeah, I, I like the way you're thinking there. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe if you find that hypnotist, just let us all know, please, and we'll, we'll yeah. all probably we'll enlist do. their services. Um, so, Nick, thank you very, very much for coming on and, and sharing your story and experiences and, and so much about the game. Uh, the Forgotten City is now, as you mentioned, just 29 days away as of when we record this. Where should people go to, A, catch up with you and see what you're up to, you slash the team are up to, and B, where can they pick up the game? 
Uh, so you can get the game on uh, Steam, uh, Xbox One, Xbox Series, PS4, PS5, uh, and then later on in the year, the Switch. Um, but if you're on PC, uh, you can do us a favor and uh, wishlist it. That'll also let you know when the game's coming out. Um, and if you'd like to get more information about us, you can find us on Twitter at uh, Modern Storyteller, spelled M-O-D-N Storyteller, um, or on Facebook as uh, Modern Storyteller. Plenty of awesome places to go there to, ca- uh, to catch up with Nick and what the team are up to. And of course, as, I, as I've mentioned a few times at this point, I think maybe, maybe people are getting a little bit tired of it. The game is looking fantastic. Hmm. Nice. I'm really, really fascinated by everything I've seen about the game. Um, I must say, like I saw it... Oh, I feel like I've, I've, I've been seeing and hearing about the game for ages, but it, did, it wasn't until very recently that I realized it was even a local product. Hmm. Um, so, I mean... Not that I've ever doubted what this, what our local scene has been capable of, but it's just another, another, I, I don't know, string to the bow, another, um, another one in the quiver there that just shows the amazing stuff that's coming out of Australia, but also specifically Melbourne, Australia. You, you and the team are doing some fantastic work, and I can't wait to get Thank my you. hands on it and try it out myself. Awesome! Look forward to uh, hearing your reactions. Uh, there'll definitely be reactions, that's for sure. So I, I'm <laughs> looking forward to uh, shooting my golden bow at algae and. And God knows what else to come up with some nice creative solutions and work my way through whatever it is you're going to throw at us. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really keen to see how this goes. And congratulations on all the work so far. I know, I know you're not quite there yet. You're only a month away. But to, for anyone to create a game is a massive achievement. So mm. congratulations on everything that you and the team have done so far. And I hope that the last um, 29 days see you getting some sleep, for starters. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks. But... Not not the expense of the game, and hopefully everything all comes together really nicely. There's no hiccups on the road, and that the launch is nice and smooth. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. But as I said before, thank you very much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Have a good one. And listeners, as always, thank you very much for listening. I'll see you next time. That concludes this century of Dev Diary. Be sure to subscribe to this feed, share with your friends, and give us a five-star review to help boost the show up the charts for greater exposure. If you have any people you'd like me to reach out to an interview, then please find me at Paul James Games on Twitter to help me get in touch with them. Until the next episode, however, that's been Nick's story. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.